Well, it is the time of year where Christians suddenly start talking about angels. We start singing about angels, and we start decorating our house with angels. Angels are in almost every song we're going to be singing for the next month. Now, but, but it's kind of funny that at the end of this month, uh, most of our angels are going to go away, and almost none of our other carols and hymns and praise songs talk about angels. It's like we bring out all our angels for one month, and then they're gone. And the truth is, we are not quite sure always what to do with angels. Last stuff we believe about angels is actually not in the Bible at all. For instance, you can see there's a handout that has some pictures for you to follow along with. Uh, a lot of us, when we picture angels, we picture what's at the top right corner, a little naked baby with a bow and arrow. Everybody, that's called a Cupid, okay? That's from Greek mythology. That is not an angel at all, okay? That's a Cupid. Okay, do you know that in the Bible there is no such thing as a halo? Not in the Bible at all. Halo is an artistic way of showing that something's holy. They sort of show a glow around it, and the glow then became sort of a ring, and then now we think of holy things as sort of this ring over them. But halo is not in the Bible at all. Did you know that in the Bible, angels rarely are associated with music? In fact, in the Christmas stories, if you read them carefully, angels never sing. Contrary to all of your Christmas carols, the only one that gets it right is the first Noel. Uh, the first Noel, the angels did Day. The first Noel, the only carol that actually gets this right, none of the angels sing in the Christmas story. They never play harps. Kind of an interesting idea. So this year, I've decided we're going to look at the Christmas story through the angle of angels. We're going to look at it and talk about angels. And, and to do that, I, I thought, and this was kind of nice that we have this extra bonus sort of Sunday in Advent. Then I can do a little bit of an intro to angels today, and then we can get on to the angels of the Christmas story. And I also did a little booklet. It's in the back. Um, uh, some of you grabbed it already, but there's two little booklets back there that I did. One on angels, and then one just on the Christmas story. So if those are of interest to you, they're in the back. And because I wrote a book on the thing, on the things, I don't feel the need today to tell you everything about angels. You can read it back there. But I do want to give you some highlights about what we do and do not know about angels. What are these strange creatures? To begin, do we really believe in angels? Or do they seem odd and superstitious to us? I don't know if you've ever really thought about it. I have to say that I, for one, have never seen an angel, never knowingly experienced or interacted with an angel. Um, but I'm a person that believes in the Bible. And so as a person who believes in the Bible, I can't help but believe in angels. Now, angels are in the Bible about 270 times. That makes them not one of the major ideas of the Bible, but they're certainly not a little idea in the Bible. About half the books of the Bible mention angels of some kind, and um, really, you don't have a Christmas story if you don't have angels. And really, about any time heaven is described, there's angels. So if you don't believe in angels, I'm not sure you can also, biblically speaking, believe in heaven either. I'm not a naturalist. I am a Christian. And so a naturalist believes that only the natural order is what you've got. Anything that's naturally part of the world. But I believe in the Trinity. Okay? I believe in God, His Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I believe in the resurrection. I am a supernaturalist. Okay? Once you believe in the resurrection,
perfection, a lot of stuff becomes pretty possible. And so I do believe in angels, and, and if you don't, I'm going to show you that that's, I think, okay too. You can still have a fruitful experience with Advent thinking about angels, but I do believe. So then what are angels? Well, interestingly enough, the Bible has a lot it doesn't say about angels. Maybe the Bible doesn't describe a lot of what angels look like. We're going to see the angels that are described in the Bible are really weird looking. Okay? We don't understand a lot about them, but there are certain things we can say about angels. First of all, we should say that the word angel just means messenger. Okay? In the Hebrew, it's a different word, uh, and it just means messenger too. But our word angel actually comes from the Greek word that's really angel. Okay? We just took the word angel and made it English. Okay? It's not... Like we're just using a Greek word there. And, and it's not clear in the Bible that the word angel actually means like some kind of heavenly being. It just means messenger. That's what it means. Now we use that term angel then to describe these messengers and, and as sort of a categorical word, but uh, the, the Bible's not clear on that. Okay, but we do use it for these spiritual beings. I like how a pastor named Sinclair Ferguson talks about angels. He talks about it this way, that you and I are terrestrial, okay? In other words, we're from this earth, we're from this world, okay? If something were to come from another world, what would we call that? Alien, Alien but extraterrestrial, from a different world, okay? Um, Sinclair Ferguson says angels are really super-terrestrial. In other words, they're not from any world. Okay? They're not predominantly physical beings. They're spiritual beings. Now, they can seem to interact with our world, as they do in speaking to people in the Bible and in, in doing some physical things in the Bible. But remember also in the Christmas story that an angel enters into Joseph's dream. I don't know if you have anything physical that enters your dreams, but that's kind of a strange description. So they're really super terrestrial. They're from not our world, not from any world. Here's how Ferguson also says that angels, we can think of angels as a different branch of God's family. God made the world. God made people to rule over the world. But separately, he created these things called angels. So I want to correct something that I hear Christians talk about a lot. A lot of Christians talk about how we become angels. Or now grandma is an angel. No, I'm really sorry to burst that bubble if that's you. But uh, we don't become angels. Angels are something different than us. Angels are these spiritual beings that God made for his plans and his purposes. Now, there's a lot about angels that we don't know from Scripture. And I want to say clearly that sometimes Scripture will say something clearly and we don't like what it says, so we ignore it. But I also think when Scripture is not clear about something, that's probably a sign that we can hold it a little loosely, right? Like, if God didn't feel like he had to lay this out for us step by step so we understood everything, that was probably okay with God, probably should be okay with us too. If we're going to be people of the book, let's be people of the book that take seriously when the Bible is specific and when the Bible is unclear. But there are some things about the angels that we can say. Uh, first of all, they're described as very powerful. Okay, a lot of descriptions of angels in the Bible, they're considered very powerful, but we should know that they're not all powerful. Okay, angels don't know everything. They don't know things until God tells them things. And also, they're not om omnipresent. They can't be everywhere. In the Bible, an angel gets sent, an angel goes away. It means angels are somewhere. Not physically here, but they are somewhere, so that they can't be everywhere. 
We know that there are a lot of angels, but we don't know how many. Jesus also says that angels don't marry. Remember, they aren't physical beings. They're predominantly spiritual beings. So if we think of them like another branch of God's family tree, our tree works on families. We get married, have children. They get married, have children. We're organized in this family. It doesn't seem to be how angels are described in the Bible. We don't think they have bodies, so they don't have gender, so they don't have children or get married. Okay, what they are organized in is instead, the Bible talks about them in terms of ranks and orders. Okay, almost like military terms. They have systems, they're sort of types and categories and then layers of angels. The Bible speaks of archangels, which are like the chief leaders in angel society. In fact, several of them are named in the Bible. One is the angel Michael. Michael's mentioned four times and he's associated with war. And oftentimes in art, he's pictures holding a great big sword. Okay, he's considered the head of the warrior angels, traditionally speaking. The other one that gets named several times is Gabriel. Gabriel's important because he shows up in our Christmas story. He is what we would say a messenger angel. Um, and, and so he is, his job is delivering messages. Shows up in the book of Daniel, but also in the book of Luke. The other archangel that you can make an argument for is Lucifer, um, which I talk about a little more in the booklet, um, but seems to be maybe tradition held to be the head of the worshiping angels that then fell. So, so they're not, everybody kind of getting a picture now? Angels are not people. They don't work like people. They don't look necessarily like people either. In fact, the, the descriptions we have of angels in the Bible uh, are very, very strange. Most Bibles, most angels are not described at all. But in, in the Old Testament, there really are some creatures that they're not messengers. So in, in, in terminology, we might not call them angels. But in this category of, of these creatures that God made, they are, I think, angels by the way we use the term, and they are really strange. I gave you some great pictures of angels. You're like, those don't look like angels. Yeah, not like you think of angels. Okay, now th think about what you think of when you think of an angel. Do they have a, do they have a halo? Yeah, a lot of times they have a halo. Where is it? That's not biblical. Let me ask you another question. When you picture an, an, an angel, how Caucasian is your angel? Okay, how much does your angel look like a white person? Okay. Um, yeah, we have some interesting versions of angels, and none of them are what the Bible describes. Okay, here are the weird creatures that I would categorize as angels that the Bible describes. One is called seraphim. We've already heard about them in one carol of song today. We're going to sing about them in another carol here in a little bit. Cover from Isaiah 6. Here's the description. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord all God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. Notice they're calling, not singing. Okay, you pay attention to the specifics here. But here's a six-winged angel covering their face, covering their feet, and flying. So I don't know about your picture of angels, but if you gave them two wings, I can't find angels in the Bible with two wings. Maybe they got four or six. Okay? So I gave you a couple pictures there. You can see on the right side, underneath the naked baby, uh, a couple of artistic renditions of what maybe a uh, seraph looks like. 
And uh, you can tell now why when the Bible says an angel is seen, they always say, fear not. <laughs> I would be terrified. Right? If it takes the wind thing covered in, in, in eyeballs, covered in eyes, shows up. Okay? Now, another Bible, another kind of angel or creature is called a cherubim. Or Ezekiel calls them a living creature. They're sometimes called a tetramorph because of their weird description. Ezekiel 1, and you can pick it up later in Ezekiel and then Revelation 2. Ezekiel 1, 5. And in the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had a human likeness. And each had four faces. And each of them had four wings. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. And they had their, on their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle. Okay, so this is sometimes called a tetramorph. I gave you a couple pictures in the middle of the page of this tetramorph, this angel with multiple wings, multiple faces. Okay, if one of those shows up to you, they should tell you fear not, right? <laughs> That's what should happen. Okay, uh, in the uh, in the book of Revelation, there's, there's another heavenly scene described. It's in a vision where there are four creatures, one that looks like each of these animals, but in Ezekiel, it's four faces. And then in this really odd description, did you catch this? That they never turn. They only just move like this. They never turn around. Uh, actually, if you go back, in, if you go home and you look up a griffin or a phoenix from ancient literature, you'll find some similarities with these kind of creatures. There's one even stranger kind of cherubim. Okay? It's sometimes later called, it's not in the Bible called this, but in later called, it's called an ophanine. These are angels that look like wheels. This is from Daniel 7. Alright, uh, they're, they're in Daniel 7, and let me read you a little later here in Ezekiel 1. Now I looked at the living creatures, and I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, each of each, and one for each of the four of them. As for their appearance of wheels and the, their construction, their appearance was like a gleaming a barrel. Um, that's a, a type of material. And the four had the same likeness. Their appearance was a construction of a wheel within a wheel. And they went in any one of the four directions without turning. And the rims were tall and awesome, and the rims of all four were covered in eyes all around. Hey, everybody, can you imagine this? Okay, I gave you a couple pictures of these at the bottom of the page. Okay, there's, there's a wheel within a wheel, flaming with eyeballs. And you can see this, this drawing in the bottom right-hand corner. That is the wheel with the tetramorph. Okay, now sometimes these sort of get blurred in, in other Jewish writings. These angels are sort of described as combined. Sometimes because, because the, the seraph are covering their face, you can't see their face, they're sometimes represented with one big eyeball. Okay, so you can see a couple pictures there of seraph and cherubs, uh, seraphim and cherubim with one big eyeball and all these wings sort of wrapped around. Can you imagine putting one of these on the top of your Christmas tree? That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Weird, right? But here's what I want to tell you. This description of angel has more biblical basis than the white person you pictured with a halo. Okay? 
Angels are weird. Okay? They're not people. They don't look like people. They don't act like people. And it's a little hard here to describe. So is Ezekiel and Daniel, are they actually seeing real angels, or is this vision some kind of vision? It sounds like a trip like maybe some of you had in college, right? <laughs> um, it's very strange. Very strange. Are these symbols, are these metaphors? We're going to get back to that in a minute. Because what do angels do? They, they, they seem to have been made by God for several functions. First of all, like the word angel says, they're messengers. They give, God, they give God's word to people. But they also are seen in, in, in Ezekiel and Daniel, they're not messengers. These are really worshipers. These are angels that are constantly worshiping God, constantly saying to each other, Holy, holy, holy. Like, look how amazing God is. Um, sometimes, though, in the Bible, they also take direct action. So there's one point where an angel stands in front of Balaam, and he can't see it, but his donkey can. Do you remember that story? They engage in spiritual warfare. My favorite angel story, by the way, when you get home, read Acts 5. Because some of the disciples are in prison, and angels come and break them out. I kid you not. Um, they break these disciples out of prison. That should be a movie, right there. Angels breaking people out of prison. Okay, but what's the thread line? Between all these weird descriptions of angels that we have, all these different ways that angels seem to act, angels are witnesses to God. They watch. They are meant to watch what God is doing all the time. They celebrate creation according to Scripture, and they're a part of God's story, and they seem to particularly be active when God's story is making a major turn, like Christmas. They show up in the Easter story. They show up again in Revelation. Okay? They are witnesses. And that why, that's why this symbolism starts to make sense. Is it weird to be covered in eyes? Yeah. But if you were covered in eyes, you wouldn't miss anything, would you? Right? So if they're always watching God, they can't turn away. That's why they can't turn either. If I turn, I might not see something. But if I'm always facing the same direction, and I'm always moving in that way, and I'm covered in eyes, I will never miss what God is doing. And in fact, I will be continually proclaiming, and then what, what about these angels covering their faces? It's like when they see God, and they see God's holiness, they can't help but, but see that they are not God. And in some way, even though these are heavenly, holy creatures, but compared to God, they have to cover their face. But even if they cover their face, they're covered in eyes so that they don't miss what's going on. So you start to take some of this a little bit symbolically and see, oh, this is why your angels work. So what should our relationship with angels be? Well, I think they are to be celebrated. I think they're a great example for us because, because I think we are supposed to be the witnesses to what God is doing. Yeah, I think so often we miss it. We've only got two eyes, and we have to turn around sometimes. Right? We miss what God's doing. And so I think angels are to be held up in, in esteem, and to be, uh, we, we should be excited. They're a great example for us, for their obedience and their constant worship. That's what we should be doing. I wonder if angels watch and never miss anything. If angels are wondering, why don't these people understand what God did for them? How come so many Christians seem to miss it? Now, but I, I want to be clear that I don't think we pray to angels. I don't think we worship angels. And uh, I spelled this out a little bit in the booklet, but I do not think there's biblical evidence to say that everybody has a guardian angel. I think guardian, they do protect us, 
but I don't think we necessarily have a guardian angel. But I do think they are to be celebrated. They, I think, and I think it's quite possible to see them. I would guess that maybe somebody in here has, though I have not. I wonder if this week somebody will call me and tell me their story about seeing one. So, to the Christmas story then. What does the angels in particular have to say about the Christmas story? Well, I've laid out the angelic appearances on the back of that handout. Um, and I'm going to be talking about these kind of as we go through the next few Sundays into Christmas Eve. So I'm going to go in this order so you can know exactly where I'm going. But angels show up, first of all, the angel Gabriel shows up in this strange story that we don't often talk about or sing about on Christmas, which is the story of, of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Those are the parents of John the Baptist, who Luke actually takes John the Baptist and Jesus and sort of goes back and forth between their stories. So before the angel Gabriel goes to Mary, Gabriel actually shows up first with a man named Zechariah. He's in the temple, and uh, he and his wife are of the age that they can no longer have children. And yet, the angel Gabriel tells him that they are going to have a child. Zechariah thinks this is kind of funny and ends up mute until the child is born. Okay, by the way, an angel, if an angel ever comes to you, especially looking like some of these pictures, and tells you something, don't laugh. Okay, that's like a basic, don't laugh, you go ahead and believe the angel. Okay, so that's going to be next week. Gabriel comes to Mary and tells her that she is blessed and she's going to have a baby. She asks the very logical question that I think everybody should ask. How can this be? Right? I haven't been with a man. How is this going to be? And so the angel reassures her that this is from God and gives Mary a sign to reassure her that her relative Elizabeth is pregnant. Okay, so then she's going to go visit uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Mary responds in faithful obedience. Then in Matthew, an angel comes, an angel of the Lord, not named, an angel of the Lord comes to Joseph. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew is written from Joseph's perspective, whereas Luke is written from Mary's perspective. And uh, so Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant. He doesn't necessarily believe that this is from God, right? And so an angel comes to reassure him. This angel comes not in person, but in a dream. And so Joseph uh, has this dream, has uh, this message from the Lord through this angel, decides he can marry Mary and name the child Jesus. Of course, we all think, when we think of angels of Christmas, we think of the angels and the shepherds in Luke 2, where shepherds are out watching their flocks by night, an angel comes and says to them, what's happening? And says, this will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. And then suddenly there is this host of heavenly beings glorifying God and not singing, saying, glory to God in the highest. These shepherds, they inspired by this, this heavenly uh, this heavenly group go and find the child Jesus and worship him. Then, on Christmas Eve, that's, so that's going to be in the morning on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, I'm going to be talking this year about the wise men. Now, if you're doing a real quick in your head, thinking through all the Christmases you've been at, and uh, all the Sunday school, you might think, well, there's no angel for the wise men. I'm going to actually make the argument that there is. Okay, and Christians have, have, have kind of wondered if this strange star that guides them not just to Bethlehem, but actually guides them to a particular house, may have actually been an angel. Okay, I don't know about you. I don't know what star is directly over my house, 
And I definitely couldn't tell anybody what star it was to help them navigate to my house. That you could find a particular house based on the star seems to tell me that there's much more going on. And that it may sound weird to you, but actually in our Christmas ornaments, it's not. Okay, how many of you have a nativity set with a star? How many of you have a nativity How many of you have a nativity set that has an angel? Anybody have an angel in your nativity set? Okay, how many of you have a star tree topper? How many of you have an angel tree topper? Okay, so we actually have both here. So this is a star, and the tree in the back has an angel on it. And uh, that's because there's always been this debate among Christians about whether it was really a star or whether maybe it was an angel. And your decorations even say that to this day. So that's going to be Christmas Eve. Now we are journeying through Advent. I will be wrestling with a lot more than angels, though. Um, and if you don't believe in angels or you find that kind of weird, here's what I will say. Most Christians have never seen an angel. Most characters in the Bible didn't see an angel. I mean, there's 20, 30 characters in the entire Bible that saw an angel. Okay? So it, it's not really that normal to see an angel. It's not impossible. But I shouldn't, I, I don't want you to come out of this saying that it's normal that we should be obsessed with angels. I don't think we should do that at all. But what I want to say is, number one, that it's possible. And so if you've had those experiences, it's not as weird as maybe you think it is. But I also want to clearly say that the point of a messenger is never the messenger. The point of the messenger is always the message. If you get a really good package in the mail, you're not like, wow, I'm really glad that postal truck was awesome. <laughs> you're, you're excited about the message. And, and when we go to read the shepherds, this is what you'll find. The end of the story of the shepherds and the angels, they, it says, Luke 2, And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it was told to them. You catch that? Who told them? The angels. So what are they excited about? The angels? No, that's in the telling. What they're excited about is Jesus. What they're excited about is what the angels told them about. Not the angels. Imagine seeing a whole field of angels. And yet what you're excited about is what is Jesus who the angels told you to see. That's the goal of the angels. Angels are always messengers, always pointing to God, always praising God, always having their eyes, many eyes, open to God. And so as we go through this series, it's, it's not our goal to obsess over angels, but to use angels and their messages and the way people respond to their messages to say, how do we look at Jesus? Because, because I think most people in here will never see an angel. I'm not sure I ever will. But I'm willing to bet everybody in here is going to get a message from God someday. It might come in your own heart, in your own prayer study. It might come from somebody else. I don't know how God's going to speak to you, but I'm willing to bet everybody in here is going to receive messages from God. And I'm really interested. That if it's an angel, you should probably listen to that. But however God speaks to you, whoever the messenger ends up being, can you learn to listen to and respond to God's messages? That's what we want to explore here as we head to Christmas. That, I think, is the fruitful discussion we're going to have about angels. Again, I wrote a lot more about angels, and I'm happy to have more discussions. Wonderful Wednesday. It's one of the terrific Tuesday, I told you. But um, we're going to be dealing with angels in the Christmas story in that, too. So if you want to go a little deeper, there's a number of ways to do that. And then we're just going to march through these stories all the way through Christmas Eve, considering how 
to listen to the messengers in our lives. May God open you in some way to his messages as we go through this Advent journey. Amen. To, before we close, we're going to do a, um, kind, of a funny, kind of a funny thing. Uh, I, I was doing this research on these really weird description of angels. And I was telling Patty in the office, I said, I really want a biblically accurate Christmas ornament of an angel. Like, don't give me wings and a halo. Give me, like, six wings and a giant eyeball or, like, a big wheel or something. And uh, it just so happened that the day I was talking to Patty about this, the crochet club was meeting. And Esther said, hey, uh, we're making angels. I said, not like this. And so we got into this big discussion. And um, while, I, and while she was, uh, while we were all discussing it, I was teaching a little bit about angels, they found a pattern. And Esther made me one. <laughs> so I had a biblically accurate, uh, a little more biblically accurate <laughs> angel uh, that's been crocheted for my Christmas tree. I'm so excited about it. And, and uh, as this was all occurring, I was telling my mom about this. And I was really excited. And my mom said, well, once you have a, a biblically accurate angel for your tree, everybody's going to want an ornament. And I said, I don't think that's true, and I can't crochet. But I did figure out that I can print stuff and laminate it. So, on your way out today, my, a couple of my kids will have a bucket with several different or ornaments that you can put on your tree, okay, that are pictures, they're pictures from your insert. Um, but you can have a biblically accurate angel ornament for your own tree. And when your grandkids come over and say, what the heck is that? <laughs> you can have a conversation with them about what angels are like and what angels we don't know about. And, and uh, so I thought it'd be a fun discussion piece. So as you leave today, make sure you get your biblically accurate angel. There's five different ones. You can pick the one that uh, speaks to you or is the least terrifying. <laughs>